Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every week, me and Miss Boo go back and forth bringing movies together. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but they're always fun here at the Film Club. Miss Boo, how are you? I'm good. Uh, today is our last day of tribute to comedy, so... Oh, yes, it is. I'm kind of sad that it's leaving, because we've watched some pretty good movies this month. We did, we did. We watched some real fun ones. But I think today's pick might be the best of the list. Are you sure Big Trouble Little China was kind of, kind of awesome? Dean says as he's wearing a tank top and maybe some knife boots. Mm, quiet, you. Well, also, we had probably one of the funniest movies ever made with, you know... Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Exactly. And Hot Fuzz. And Hot Fuzz. And now we, we have the man, the myth, the legend... Mr. Mel Brooks here to to throw his hat into the ring. And what a hat it is. Ah, uh, yes. Today, we are going to be discussing high anxiety. Yes. Cue the dramatic music. Dun, dun, dun. Mr. Mel Brooks' tribute to Hitchcockian thrillers, uh, like all of them. Yeah, it's a pretty big list of all the movies that he paid homage to in this film. Yeah, I, I know the... It looks like the major one is like, it's like Vertigo, North by Northwest, Sherrod. Psycho, The Birds. Oh, God. Uh, Sabotage, Island for Murder. Mm-hmm. The list kind of goes on. Yeah, I was very surprised. When I saw the list, I was like, holy crap, that is a ton of movies, but it makes sense. Yeah, well, it's also kind of funny because, okay, so Alfred Hitchcock, right, is considered one of if not the greatest directors to have ever lived hands down yeah and he worked very pretty much predominantly in like the thriller or suspense genre he was the master of suspense exactly but i got a question do you think his films were formulaic i think so really you, you think yeah. like because he worked in the genre in a very specific genre for so long it's like you can kind of beat out a hitchcockian plot pretty quickly Mm, yeah, when you start to watch all of them, then you kind of figure it out. But at the same time, why try to figure it out? Just enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I bring this up because it feels like with Mel Brooks doing High Anxiety, he's throwing all these different aspects of Hitchcock's films. Granted, mm -hmm. he's doing it for you know comedic sake, so it doesn't yeah. have to make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. But it's almost like he's kind of throwing in a bunch of scenes that are just similar to other Hitchcock movies. And they all still kind of just flow really well. Is it is it like a thing where the thing he's parroting is like they're so similar they just work if you just throw a bunch of different scenes together because it's all kind of the same plot? Or is Mel Brooks just really good at parody? I think both. Yes and yes. Yes and yes. Yeah. We've got two comedy genius or not comedy genius. We have, we have two a two film geniuses, mm -hmm. Mel Brooks and Hitchcock, and it would have been amazing if they made a movie together. I mean, this is the closest we're ever going to get. It's true. Now, this one came out in 77, and I think Hitchcock died in 1980? Yeah, Hitchcock was around for this movie. And like last week, you know, at the very end of our episode, I was telling you a story about how he screened it for him, and mm -hmm. Hitchcock got up at the end, didn't say anything, and walked out of the room. Yes. And Mel Brooks thought, oh my god. I just pissed off Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock. My career is over. It's over. And a week later, he gets a case of wine sent to his house, because I guess Mel Brooks is a wine connoisseur. Oh, of course. And a, a note from Alfred Hitchcock, 
you know, basically saying that was amazing. I, I wish I could have made a movie like this. And which it was just is like, gotta wow. be a compliment, right? Oh, totally. Oh. I mean, let alone just meeting him. But also getting that compliment of, I wish I could have done a film like this. And it would have been interesting to see Alfred Hitchcock do a comedy versus a suspense movie. Yeah. Because I know he had his show, and that was kind of comedic in a way. But I mean, you, 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 you more or less know him as a serious kind of director. Yeah. Well, that, that just stems from the whole fact that Hitchcock doesn't seem like a... Like a, a slapstick, pie-in-the-face kind of comedian like like Mel Brooks yeah. is. Well, Mel Brooks is... Mel Brooks is weird because it's almost like he's... He he is a you know a comedy guy, but it's not like he's a huge, like, comedian. He's he's a showman. He's yeah. a showman, and his and his shtick is, is funny stuff. He's the funny man. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And this is a really interesting movie to kind of look at because I feel High Anxiety is probably one of the lesser-known... Um, it, Mel Brooks movies? Yeah, which is weird because it's such a good movie. Mm-hmm. It has great bits. It has great actors in it. And, yeah, it's kind of on the, the smaller scale of his films. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people know him for, like, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, uh, History of the World Part 1. Yeah, like... Uh, the Producers, uh, Spaceballs. You know, I could, you know, just list off all the movies he's done because... He is amazing. He's one of my favorite directors. Mm-hmm. He's also only directed 11 movies. Yeah. But absolutely love Mel Brooks. I love this movie. Uh, I you know we were not even into talking about the movie yet. No. But I already highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Yeah. But let's jump into the movie. Ah, uh, yes. So High Anxiety. This is one of those weird kind of movies where... Mel Brooks is working with a pretty, like, basic plot, and he's just kind of running, using that plot to just do gag after gag after gag. Yeah. And the plot for this one is he is a psychiatrist brought in to oversee this mental institution. For For the very, very nervous. For the very, very nervous. And it's run by this kind of crooked doctor and this really weird, like, nurse who's probably also a witch. And is also kind of like Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, which also I was like, this has got to be a Nurse a Nurse Ratchet like riff, right? Yeah. And then I'm like, wait, when did when did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Next come out? Is this an actual one for one parody or is this something else? But hey, you know, I never got around to actually looking, but you know, I'm I'm lazy. That's what I assumed too. I thought that's what this was. Yeah, but um, so he has this thing. He's a psychiatrist comes in to run this um mental institution that's pretty crooked finds out that there's this secret plot going on where they get really rich like patients in and don't let them leave mm-hmm. so they're like companies and family just keep paying into the facility yeah and then this guy unravels it and it turns into this weird cat and mouse game and it turns into a hitchcockian thriller and then things happen in a watchtower it's the end there's the movie and there's also a musical number in this movie there is there's your favorite musical number in this movie Performed by Mel Brooks himself. Yes. And it's wonderful. I could listen to it on Spotify. That's how good the song is. It's true. It's true. But yeah, so where do you want to get where do you want to get started talking about the movie? Because we can talk about kind of anything. Because the only thing about this movie that's not in all other Mel Brooks movies is Gene Wilder. 
Yeah, and I'm surprised you mentioned that because actually he was supposed to be Richard Thorndike in this movie. Yeah, but did, wasn't it a thing where he like had a scheduling conflict? Like he was going to do like... I, I can't remember what other movie it was. I thought it was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but I don't think the timeline matches up. Yeah, I, I didn't go into too, you know, too far into the research to see what the other film was, but there was a schedule conflict. So Mel Brooks was like, all right, you know, I'm producing and directing this. And I wrote this, so let me, you know, take on this role. And this was his first speaking role, because he was in Silent Movie. Yes, which is a silent silent movie. movie. So, no dialogue. So, this is his first speaking role in any of his films. Which is really weird, because I think back in, you know, because I, I, obviously, I started watching Mel Brooks movies after after his career basically finished. Which Mel yeah. Brooks is still still very much alive and he's still very much working. And it's, if he made a new movie, I would be out at the theater ready to watch it. Yeah, everybody would be. But it's also a thing where his last movie was Dracula Dead and Loving It in like ninety nine, ninety ninety something. Was it really that late? Ninety nine? Or might I mean I can check right now because we have the magic of the internet. But <laughs> exactly. But, like, yeah, his last movie was Dracula Downing, Loving It, starring Leslie Nielsen, and by the time I started watching Mel Brooks movies, he basically stopped directing films. Because yeah. that movie bombed pretty hard, from what I've uh, been able to gather. And his other movies, though, were like, you know, people like them, they didn't really make a lot of money. And that's kind of why his directorial career kind of fizzled out a little bit. He still produces. He still, you know, yeah. writes and all this other stuff. It's just, you know, kind of stops directing after a while. Yeah, and I mean, he's also Mel Brooks. He's come out with some amazing films that are, you know, regarded as these films that are like in top 100 lists that, you know, you must see before you die or best comedies of all time. So. Oh, yeah. Blazing Saddles is probably one of the most, one of the most, you know, influential comedies ever oh, made. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. So, well, that's the thing. I think a lot of it comes down to, like, because I did an episode about Mel Brooks on the other podcast I yeah. did, Double Feature, where we compared Blazing Saddles to Robin Hood Men in Tights, which mm-hmm. is a movie from his very early career and a movie from his very later career. Yeah. And you kind of saw this weird um, arc to mm-hmm. his filmmaking, and High Anxiety is, is right smack in the middle of that arc. Yeah. Where he goes from being this very broad genre parody kind of thing where he's parodying like the western genre or he's parodying the suspense genre Mm -hmm. or he's you know or he's parodying the universal movie monsters genre with you know young frankenstein history of part one is historical epics and things like that and then he gets to really specific stuff like space balls which is specifically a spoof on star wars Robin Hood Menetites is a specific spoof on... Robin Hood? Rob, well, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the Kevin yeah. Costner one, I think. And then Dracula Dead and Loving It is a parody of Dra- Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Francis Ford Coppola one from like 90-something. And Dracula Dead and Loving It came out in 95. Yeah, it came out in 95. All right. See, I was barely alive when that movie came out. I was more conscious than anything. There you go. But yeah, so... When you look at his career overall, it's it's weird, right? Because he goes from being this really broad, like, satirist to this very specific parody guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why the 
the his um directorial stuff kind of fizzled out, right? But you have to admit his parodies are so good. Oh no, no, I'm not saying he's a bad director. I'm saying that you can see his no, directorial I... style evolve yeah, over time. Yeah, yeah, and I understand, but the man can do a parody so well. Oh yeah, like High Anxiety is a great example yeah. of this. I'm saying High Anxiety is probably like High Anxiety and in History of the World Part 1 is right after. These are probably kind of the last those are probably some of the last great Mel Brooks movies. Like everything after that is just like pretty good. Yeah. You know, Spaceballs is pretty good. Robin Hood Men of Tights is pretty good. Yeah. You know, you don't get you don't have the greats anymore. Granted, like I'm I'm pretty sure Mel Brooks if he made a new comedy today it'd be fine. Like I think it would, I think it would make money. It'd be good. It would totally make money. Exactly. Come on. So, even though this is my pick, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you our staple question. Yes. When was the first time that you saw High Anxiety? I was in college. Really? You saw it that late? Yeah. This this was one of the Mel Brooks movies that no one that no one watches. I'm not I'm not being mean, but it <laughs> it's kind of true, right? I mean, I think I saw this in middle school. Oh, okay. You had you had you know more access to old Mel Brooks movies. Like, the Mel Brooks movies that I grew up with were, like, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, and History of the World Part 1. Those were, like, the three staples. And then I would, like, go out of my way to watch Robin Hood Men in Tights on, like, my cousin's VHS when I could. Mm-hmm. And then High Anxiety, I didn't know existed. Yeah, Hell, my mo- I never saw yeah. the original producers until, like, years and years after the remake came out. With Nathan Lane? Yeah, with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. The movie's great. Yes. But yeah, I mean, it's a really good movie. I saw it back in middle school. My mom showed it to me, so it's been around for a while. I've grown up with Mel Brooks movies. Because, yeah. I mean, comedy genius. You know, you could be a five-year-old and enjoy Young Frankenstein. It Well, it's the thing where he knows his he knows his craft very well. I mean, he was also in The Little Rascals. He was in The Little Rascals? Really? Yeah, when they go to the bank, and they're, you know, they dress oh, up. And oh, the, okay. And I he's thought the you banker. were talking about The Little Rascals from, like, the 30s. No, and I was like, no. wait, what now? No, Our Little Rascals. Yeah, okay, no, from, I know from that. Our, from, our genre, from our era. Yeah, okay, I know what, now I know what you're talking about. For a second there, I'm like, look, I know he's old, but I don't know he was that old. No, no. <laughs> When, when he's the banker, how could you forget? You no, know, I know a he's critical the role like yeah. that. No, I know that. Uh, but yeah, but so, anxiety. So let's jump back into the film. Exactly, because I you know, I can kind of talk around it a lot, because talking about the actual film is weird, right? Because it, why? Well, because when you because talking about the plot is almost like irrelevant, right? Because the plot's like pretty basic once you think about it. So you can only talk about, like, the gags, right? I mean... There's a who, lot of gags. It's a gag every scene. And who doesn't love a good gag? Exactly. Mel Brooks loves a good gag. And, you know... And that's... this one's guaranteed. You you start off with a gag, with, the, you know, the dramatic music, and... He makes a note of it, and he's like, that is such a dramatic airport. Yeah, you know, you get it from him on the airplane, landing into LAX, and you just feel, you know, like... Well, I felt like probably like you because I know you're a nervous flyer. I hate flying. Absolutely so, hate flying. So now when I watch this movie, I think, you know, when he's looking outside of the plane and everyone else in the other windows are smiling, I'm like, is that Dean just looking outside the window? Like, oh, no, I would have been I would have I would had my I would have had a crucifix out. I would started, you know, praying. I'm not even that Catholic. It would just come to me. <laughs> but I mean, you get that whole lead up of 
on the plane uh, in the airport when he thinks that the woman's going to impale him with her umbrella. Mm-hmm. And she goes and hugs his, her husband. Which is such a weird, oddly specific <laughs> thing. Like, I feel that's not something where, oh, this is just a weird, like, oh, you're misinterpreting something yeah. you're seeing. It's like, no, that woman's crazy. <laughs> the woman is crazy and just like, because she looks like she's going to murder somebody. Like, did she find out her husband was cheating on her and she was just able to hold back that rage before she got to him? Was that what that is? But then the tears came out when she got to him. She was just like, I missed you so much. Who knows how long we've been apart with you in Boston and me here. I, I guess. And then I was watching it and I forgot about the guy in the trench coat. Oh, yeah. I remember that bit and another one of those, like, why is this... Why is this in here? I'm looking at the runtime like, okay, that might be why that's in here. All right, needs to hit 90. Okay, okay. That or, you know, the guy in the trench coat's probably from one of Hitchcock's movies and we just can't place it. Yeah. Except I... they switched it with, you know, the guy, you know, exposing himself in the bathroom and Mel Brooks is just like, what are you doing, you know? Don't run away from me. Everyone's doing it. Don't be so gauche. We're all doing it. God. But yeah, so that's the, that's the thing. I feel it's hard to to articulate certain things about this movie because it, it's kind of like you need to know the reference, right? Yeah. Because, you know, again, this is all a tribute to Hitchcock, so for some scenes, it's kind of like you, you can't really place what movie it is, and there's other scenes where it's like, absolutely, that's from Psycho. Absolutely, oh, yeah, that's the from shower the scene? Yeah. I, I love... Okay, because Hitchcock watched this movie and then, you know, he sent... Mel Brooks, like, the note and stuff yeah. like that. And Mel Brooks managed to talk to him, because I know this part. Mm-hmm. It's like, so what did you think of the of the shower scene? Because that's, you know, the famous one, right? Mm-hmm. Hitchcock was like, it was good, but you broke 12 shower curtain rings. I only broke 10 in my shot. And I'm like, well, how the fuck did you know that? It was 13. It was 13? 13. I'm and gonna Hitchcock go back only to, did 10. I'm going to go back to that point of, motherfucker, Hitchcock, how did you, how'd you peg that out? Because that's, that's not that long. And it, it's not that critical. Why did you, where did you make a note of that? Because that shower scene is, you know, such a big deal in Hitchcock's history as a filmmaker. It's like, yeah, you know, of course you're going to make sure that the person that's, you know, redoing this is going to do it right. And for That's ha- not even like a, oh, he's doing it right. It's like, oh, this guy didn't do enough coke and stayed up all night watching that scene over and over again to get down to the rings. I mean, you don't have to do a lot of coke to make sure you know how that scene goes. I mean, to to stay up long enough to notice that, probably. Nah. Me. But but yeah. But honestly, I also love that that yes, um, parody that... shot because that's great. Because it's just the, the bus or the uh, bus boy, the, uh, the fucking uh, bellboy. The bellboy comes in and he's like, "Here's your paper," and he's like, "It's like smacking with the Here, newspaper." Here's your paper. Take your paper. Are you happy now? One of my favorite scenes. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. it is absolutely the best scene. And he's, like, smacking him with it. And then, you know, he leaves. And Mo Brooks is lying in the tub. Like, he got sad. And he's like, that boy's not getting a tip. And, and, it's... and, you know, being a former server in a restaurant, I totally empathize with this guy. You know, you have someone, you know, can you please bring me soy sauce? By the way, did I ask you for extra soy sauce? You're going to bring that soy sauce, right? And it's just like. I get it, boo. <laughs> and, and that scene, Mel Brooks is the villain. All right, he is every bad customer you've ever had. Yes, so I totally empathize <sighs> with the bellboy, but at the same time, never beat the crap out of someone with some soy sauce. Uh, you've dreamed of it before. But uh, but again, if the soy sauce had fallen, it would have been dramatic and gone down the drain, just like in the movie. 
Not quite like Psycho with the chocolate syrup, but they did pretty good with the newspaper print, which was genius. We, we know Psycho's your favorite movie. It's up there. But yeah, the, I think that's that's the thing. Because that scene we both really enjoy, right? Yes. And I think the comedy that hits great, right? Because I can identify that scene. I'm just, I'm just curious. Do you think you need to be versed in Hitchcock films to really get this movie? No, because this movie has its own theme, its own story. Mm-hmm. So if you've never seen a Hitchcock movie, you're still going to enjoy the comedy in it. Mm-hmm. But I think you get a little bit extra when you know Hitchcock, you know these films, and you're able to laugh and say, oh, well, that's from Psycho. And hey, they did a pretty good job of executing that part of Psycho. And I'm trying to think if they had done it any other way, how would they have done it with, you know, getting the the fake blood to run down the drain? Well, and, I'm not even going on that far because I'm just thinking because because it's hard to, to say, oh, as a first time viewer, because I'm not a first time viewer. Yes, yeah. I've seen this a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but I'd be, almost be curious what a first time viewer would think of this movie if they didn't watch any Hitchcock movies. Because I think you can you can say there are people out there who've never seen a Hitchcock movie. Like, they've just never seen Psycho. Yeah, or The Birds. Or North by Northwest. Yeah. Because right. a lot of his Vertigo. movies... Vertigo. Because, yeah, a lot of his movies, you know, are pre-1970, basically. Yeah. But a, I... the huge majority of, of, like, the stuff that Mel Brooks is parodying is pre-1970. Yeah. And most people today probably aren't well-versed in movies pre-1970. Yeah, because, I mean, even if, you know, you haven't seen Psycho, a lot of people know that infamous scene. Mm-hmm. Because it's, you know, it's used, it's been played. It's a pop culture yeah. touch, though. So, like, if it was the part, like, with the birds that he deals with when he's getting crapped on in the park, you know, I think people would still, you know, enjoy that without seeing a, a Hitchcock film, you know. Well, it's just funny to see somebody get crapped shit on. on. Yeah. yeah. So, it's like, I don't think, you know, a, a viewer would have to see a Hitchcock film to enjoy this film. Okay. I think it gives it more depth, but... The, the humor alone is enough for someone to get by and really enjoy this movie. Okay. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. I think there's enough funny in here without needing to know the the, the backstory, the right? The history, yeah. Because I think that's the key to a good, like, spoof, comedy, sat- mm-hmm. satire, what have you. Whatever Mel Brooks is doing. Yeah. That is so different from, let's say, like, the scary movie films, right? Yeah. Which were kind. It's kind of what like the parody satire genre turned into, mm-hmm. where high anxiety and Mel Brooks films a lot. A lot of them, the, the great ones, you didn't need to know the specific movie he was talking about to to enjoy the the film and laugh at it. Yeah, because high anxiety, you don't really need to know Hitchcock movies to enjoy it. There's still yeah. enough funny stuff in there. Yeah, that it's good, and the Hitchcock stuff just means like. Oh, I get the scene they're parodying. Mm-hmm. Oh, that yeah. This this makes so much more sense. Yeah, this is hilarious. Yeah. Whereas, like, the scary movie films, it almost feels like you need a baseline to know, like... You need to have seen Scream, like, the first yeah. one, to get what the hell's going on in scary movie. But at the same time, you can still enjoy the humor in it, the funny kills. Well, yeah. see, that's the thing. Yeah, you can, but in in a really weird way, it just doesn't work the same. Because, I mean, how long has it been since you've seen the first scary movie? Oh, it's gotta be since, like, early 2000s. It's yeah. been a very and long Scream time. Scream is your favorite scary movie? Favorite scary movie, favorite franchise. Horror yeah. franchise. Yeah. So, you gotta think about it like that. It's been years since you've seen it. Yeah. If you watched it now, you're gonna, like, you're gonna get all the Scream stuff. You're not gonna get all the other shit they're talking about. 
They have references to, like, what you did last summer. They have references to all the weird late 2000s, like, early 2000s. Was the ring in the first one, or is that, like, a scary movie part two? The third one. Oh, scary movie part two is a ripoff of The Haunting. Oh, that's right. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Oh, The the Haunting? With The Haunting and part two, because you've got, you know, take my strong hand, child. Okay, that bit. Okay, okay. (laughs) The scary movie films overall are pretty bad. Like, overall, in general. But take my strong hand, child. That bit is gold. Just Comedy gold. Comedy gold. But yeah, the rest of the movie's kind of bad. Like, they have the weird, like, dunk-off contest to fight the ghost. Yeah, that part was stupid. Yeah, and it's referencing something. Yeah. But that's the problem. It's like, I've never seen that. I don't know why it's referencing (laughs) that. I don't know what that is. It's not that... It's it's funny because it's absurd, but I don't get it. Right? I think yeah. that's the what I'm getting at. Yeah. With high anxiety, if you don't get the joke, it's still funny. Yeah. In screen or in scary movie, it's like I don't get where the joke is and it's still kind of funny, I yeah. guess. It's just it's more like it's more like just weird and that's yeah. kind of why you laugh at it. But in high anxiety, if you don't get it, it's still funny. It's still funny. You don't have to second guess it. You don't have to really dig deep. It's still very funny. Yeah. I mean, just like, you know, Madeline Kahn, Madeline Kahn, when she, Madeline makes, Kahn. When she makes her entrance in the film, because she makes her entrance pretty late into the movie. I was, okay, because I knew she was in this. Yeah. And I, and again, it's been a long time since I've watched this. And I was like, where does she show up? Because I know she's, she's in a lot of the movie and she doesn't show up until like, what, the halfway point? Yeah, till the middle of the movie and... You know, she's, get away from the door. <laughs> you know, just that, like, that weird, weird noise. <laughs> just, you know, can't catch her breath. And, you know, as two asthmatics here, we, we both get it, you know. Yeah. Walk up a flight of stairs too fast. <laughs> Help. Throw me the inhaler. I'm dying. But I was like, you know, I was trying to think, like, what movie is that referencing? But I was like, maybe it's not. And it's just a funny bit of them kind of staring each I other off. I want to say it's referencing something, though, because it's too specific. It's too specific to not be a reference, right? Yeah. But, you know, watching this for the podcast, it turned into, you know, not just me enjoying the film. It turned into me analyzing every second. And what is this a reference of? What is that a reference of? Because it's like, I've seen a lot of Hitchcock movies, but I haven't seen all of them. There's a lot. There's a ton. I read... um... Hitchcock Truffaut, which is the um, the the big book, right? Yeah, it, it's well, it's the book where um, Francis Truffaut, one of the yeah. guys who basically pioneered the French New Wave, mm-hmm. he interviews Alfred Hitchcock for I don't know how long it was. I think it was like a three day interview or something like that, mm-hmm. or it was over like a three day period. And it's just goes through every film in Hitchcock's career up to that point, and they just you know talk about. It. He does this full interview, you know, hey, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Because the French New Wave guys were the first ones to say what an auteur was yeah and if you don't know what an auteur is for those out there auteur is like french for author Mm -hmm. and they were big on a film's director is the author of the film like they're the creative authority of the film which is they were able to recognize in hitchcock movies because Mm -hmm. a lot of things repeated themselves like thematically or visually there was a noted um auteur touch to the film Mm mm-hmm you can see that a lot like Wes Anderson movies. Wes Anderson movies, you can tell a Wes Anderson movie by looking at oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like, like that stuff walks into the room, you smell it before it walks in. You mm-hmm. know that's a Wes Anderson flick. 
and these guys picked out Alfred Hitchcock as the first one they could identify definitively as an auteur. Yeah. So he they did this huge interview thing. He goes through every film he ever did. It's a long book. Yeah. And it's really interesting mm-hmm. because, like, I realized Alfred Hitchcock had worked so long. He has stuff in the early silent era. Yeah. All the way up until, like, basically when he died. Mm-hmm. Which is, like... He, I think he had like a fifty-year career. I think so. Maybe yeah. a little bit more as as a director, as yeah. an actual director. So, yeah, the amount of stuff that Mel Brooks has to reference in this is astronomical. And that's why you know, for us, it's kind of difficult because we got to put on our thinking caps and are like, is this a gag or is this Hitchcock? And it's very hard to dissect it when there's a fifty-plus year history. I'd of be, Hitchcock. I'd be interested to see somebody who's, like, a hardcore, like, Hitchcockian, like, mm. scholar. Yeah. Right? Just get, watch this movie with, like, three or four times with, like, a notepad and just jot down every reference they could, like, pick out. Yeah, because, I mean, like, the the part with Nurse Diesel, when she's talking to uh, the doctor that ends up, you know, dying from a, a cerebral hemorrhage when he's in the car when the no, music No, he's just too. dying from loud rock music. Well, that, yeah. But I'm trying to be, you know, pretentious like the doctors. Yeah, it was a cerebral hemorrhage. I'm like, dude, the, the radio is too loud and dude just up and died in the car. I, that was one of the <laughs> weirdest things I, like, ever. Because I was like, I, I was like checking the volume on my TV. I'm like, it's not that loud, is no. it? No. And then he's like dying. like, oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, but, but like, what, why though? I'm like, this is a reference to a movie. I don't know what movie this is, but it's really weird. But, <laughs> I'm like kind of laughing at it. But what I, what I was going with was when she's talking to that doctor and they they do the imagery of the spider web behind him and she's just coming closer and he's, you know, kind of, you know, getting further and further into the web. I was trying to figure that out and I was like, I think that might be a nod to Rebecca. Probably. Because I know the, the handmaid for Rebecca in the film there's usually like some big dramatic shadows behind her when she's speaking. So mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out, is that what that's a reference to? But it's just like, I was just, you know, running around in circles, you know, what is this from? What's that from? Apart from, you know, the actual big scenes where, you know, oh, okay, this is a nod to. This is Psycho. <laughs> this is North by Northwest. This yeah. is Vertigo. Yeah. Cause you get the North by Northwest. I mean, he says the title, when he's in the park uh, calling Madeline Kahn, you, know, you need to meet me here. I'm over by North by Northwest. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, you know. That's an easy one. It's right there. Or when they do, like, the shooting with the camera, right? Yeah. Because that, that's literally from, from North by Northwest, yeah. right? And, and I love that bit. It's so dumb. It's so good. And it's like, I, I kept thinking, all the movies you make, like, you gotta do one where you have the glass. Absolutely. I don't think Brando would mind if you, you know, broke one of his windows. No, not even a little bit. One of his windows is already broken. It's halfway done. There you go. But yeah, and you also have the, you know, the shower scene that's obviously psycho. Yeah. And the fact that you see the the it's the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, yeah. that, that shot I'm looking at, I'm like, that's literally from Vertigo. Yeah. Like, the, I, like I'm not sure if Mel Brooks just stole the, the negative to put in this. No, like no. Like, it's that close. No, they, they went back. And I they, know they went and, back yeah. and shot it, but it looked like that close. But that scene with um, the killer that's after uh, Mel Brooks. Oh, yeah. So, you know, after Hitchcock and Mel Brooks, you know, met and they did the screening. And they, they were kind of, you know, in contact with each other. Uh, Hitchcock was like, hey, you know this scene where he's chasing you near, you know, where the docks are? Yeah. And he's like, you know, it'd be a funny bit 
if you jumped off the dock and onto a boat and the boat just parked in the dock. And I was just like, that would have been amazing, but they couldn't do it because of money. There, there wasn't Budget and time. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, I bet if you had gone to somebody on the dock that owned a boat and been like, hey, we're making a movie. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll give you credit. You know, you, you can see, you know, your boat's name. 50 saved. bucks and a ham sandwich? Someone absolutely would have taken that. Well, okay. So on a funny note of that, um, have you seen Mad Max, the original one? From, uh, Mel Gibson, directed by, you know, A George very Miller. long time ago. Okay, you should rewatch it, because it, it's great. All the Mad Max movies are great, even Thunderdome. But for the first one, mm-hmm. um, George Miller, I believe that's the director, mm-hmm. he um, made it in Australia, and he yeah. back in, like, 70-something. And basically, he got the money being, like, as a paramedic, mm-hmm. but he, it was still a super low-budget, like, film. Yeah. Like, basically, everybody was paid in beer mm-hmm. and, like, 50 bucks. So, at the end of the movie, when they have the, the giant, like, truck run over the, the dummy with the motorcycle or whatever. Yeah. They literally paid the trucker with a case of Foster's beer. Mm-hmm. And that was it. He just was like, hey, dude, I'll give you a case of beer to run over this motorcycle. And he was like, a case? I don't know. It's Foster's. He's like, well, all right, then, you know. Just, just put something on the front of the truck. It's fine. Yeah. So, you know, the scene probably could have been made, you know. Just this, you know, beer, lunch, dinner. Someone would have taken it, but we didn't get it. We still have a great movie without the scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it is interesting that Alfred Hitchcock gave Mel Brooks a gag to put in a parody film of all of his movies. Yeah. yeah. And it's a pretty good gag, too. It's funny. Yeah. For, for being someone that's the master of suspense, that's a good gag, you know. Ha ha, you know, I'm free. I'm on the boat. Yeah, man, we're just pulling into the dock. We've been out all day. Uh, and yeah. like... How great would that have been? It would have been good. So we've we've talked about the Hitchcock scenes. You the, wanna, the gags. The gags, yeah. I mean, there's more gags that we could talk about because... It's a, it's 90 minutes of gags. It's 90 minutes of gags. There's a ton of gags that I love in this movie. It's not like other movies where we're like, okay, you know, like these two or three things are my favorite. Mm-hmm. There's just sheer tons. I mean, yeah. just like when he gets picked up from the airport and they're driving to uh, the facility... And they're talking about how the the previous person that ran the facility was murdered. And the suspenseful music comes in over the scene. And... Like you see in every suspense movie where yeah. they're talking about, oh, this, the doc, he was mysteriously taken away. And, oh, yeah, he died mysteriously. Dun, 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 dun. And they had the weird suspense music over it. And both Brophy and Dr. Thorndike are looking around like, well, where is that music coming from? Just like the audience would be thinking, you know, where did the swell come from? And then you see the Los Angeles Symphony bus... Riding alongside by, them. Yeah. And I was just like, why has that never happened to me on the freeway? I'm like, I would kill to have a moment like that where we're talking because about something. Because this is a movie. But how great would that be? We're talking about something suspenseful in the car and then, you know, the music picks up. What suspenseful thing would we talk about in the car? How you plan on killing me? No, just something suspenseful. A plot, a book, a movie we've seen. Something. I guess. But I mean, there's tons of gags that I love in this movie. Uh, do you want to talk about some of the actors in this movie? I mean, where do you want to start? Because we got actors from all over the, the spectrum here. Well, I granted, mean, we have a lot of um, Mel Brooks staples, right? We have yeah. Madeline Kahn. We have... Oh, Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman. Uh, we have Harvey Corman. H- Harvey Corman is so talented. He's great in every Mel Brooks movie I've ever seen him in. And then I love, absolutely love, Howard Morris, who plays Professor Little Old Man. 
Professor Little Old Man. Little Old Man. My Little Old Man. Uh, I mean, that scene's great. So good. I mean, I love... No, the, the best is the boxing yes, scene. Yes. So yes, good. Absolutely. So good. Oh. You know, he has uh, Richard, you know, under... Um, what is it? Hypnosis. Hi- under hypnosis. And he's like, you know, you got to fight out of this anxiety. You have to fight it. And they start, you know, just kind of shadow boxing. And then, you know, he punches him in the stomach and in the face. And he's like, oh, all right. You, you want to go? And then you have uh, Harvey Corman has Dr. Montague come in. And, of course, you know, he's got this striped, you know, old-timey boxer. Uh, referee shirt comes yeah. in and starts running He takes his up. jacket off. Best, and... li- best line is, come on, boys. We came here to see a fight, not a dance. And he's trying to break him up when they go into the clinch. And then he dings the dings the like the, the, the pipe on a, a candy dish on a candy dish, and they the, go to the, the corners. corners. Uh, it's, it's such a great scene. I was wait honestly when they did that. I kind of wanted a couple of orderlies to come in and start like you know doing the rub down, like the cut man to come in. I mean, I'm surprised they had no camera people coming in. <laughs> you just got a bunch of you know big old time cameras just flashing like oh. a, a boxing match. But I, it, wa- I wanted two, at least two rounds of that uh, of that fight. It was a good fight. Was, Little old man was kicking some ass. It was so good. But yeah, that that is that's one of the funniest bits, right? I mean, you know, little old man. Even with you know a simple scene where uh, Richard's telling him, you know, it's not necessary. He's like, "Don't tell me what's Nessa. I'll tell you what's Nessa." And it's just like, you don't expect it to be funny. It's he's not saying the word, but it's just it's funny. Yeah, it's it's a funny delivery. <sighs> But yeah, I think that's the thing about all the the actors in the movie. They're all great with their delivery because, you know, it's, sometimes they're not saying anything that's actually like that funny. It's how they're delivering it. Yeah. Like Madeline Kahn is that that's like her shtick. I, I absolutely right? she can make love anything her. funny oh, if yeah. she like. It just depends on how she delivers it. Mm-hmm. You know, and Cloris Leachman, who's one of those actresses that has been that literally can go back to like the fifties noir. Like yeah. I've seen her in like really old like noir films. And it's funny to see her in this, mm-hmm. and then to see her years later as the mom on, is on the grandmother in Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, and seeing her in Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein's another one. It's it's really weird because I'm like, man, if Cloris Leachman was born like ten years like later, mm-hmm. like she probably would like her career would have changed dramatically, yeah. right? She would have just been like the comedian, like. Mm-hmm. Like, the woman comedian, like, all these movies from, like, the 60s, 70s and all that stuff like that. Yeah. Instead of being, you know, kind of, you know, like, noir and, all, and having, like, a dramatic career. It's, yeah. It'd be so interesting. And sadly, we lost her this year. Oh, really? Yeah, she passed away. I don't I don't want to sound mean, but I thought she had already passed no, away, like, a no, couple no, years ago. No, she passed away recently. Oh, wow. So, you know, rest in peace. Your movie career is going to live on forever because she is such Spotless. a talent. Oh, yeah. I mean, her as a Nurse Diesel, she is just so funny that she sometimes has an accent, doesn't always have an accent. It, it comes she and goes. A, she also has a really weird thing about fruit cup. I mean, that's a great bit, you know. If you're not here at 8 o'clock, you don't get a fruit cup. I don't get that <laughs> accent, though. That has I, to be a reference to something, right? I, I don't know. crazy. And the fact that, you know, uh, Dr. Montague comes down, you know, comes running down the stairs, hops in his chair. So excited for Fruit Cup and there's no Fruit Cup. He's like, I'm 30 seconds late. <laughs> sure, that's still late. Oh, and so... their weird relationship. Very weird relationship. And she's also the villain at the end and she turns into the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah, and then crashes and burns into the rocks. So it's like... Very weird scene, right? It is, but she's hilarious in this movie, too. Yeah. Like, 
that's that's like the thing. Like everybody who has a speaking line, who's an actual like character in the film, they they all do their job. Yeah, they're all great. And I think with I want to say the only person who's not in another Mel Brooks film that you know that actually has speaking lines, it's like maybe Little Oldman and yeah, and Brophy. I think those are the only two that aren't in multiple Mel Brooks films, and they're both really good. Yeah, they're both great. I mean, Brophy's hilarious with... I got it. I got, I got it. it. I got it. I, I don't got, got it. it. <laughs> and, you know, he's running around taking pictures, and he's always, you know, let me help you. Can't lift that, but, you know, I got your back. Just like when the boulder comes flying through Richard's room. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, my God. And you go, Richard, someone threw a rock in my room, and this boulder practically took out the toilet in the bathroom. Yeah. It's just, it, it's comedy gold. It's stuff you don't expect. Um... Like when he goes to see the violent ward, mm-hmm. and you just see the, the half of the man's profile that's looking oh, through the, the door. Yeah, it gets me every time. That's another scene that I don't think about until I go into the movie, and it's like, oh yeah, I forgot he's not going to have the rest of his mustache. And he's just looking, you know, how did it happen? And he's like, well, you know, someone tore it off. It's the violent ward. That must have been painful. <laughs> you couldn't even imagine. And then you walk past a, an open window in a cell. Hey, Norris, missing something as he's wearing half the mustache. It's like, where do you come up with this? And thank you for coming up with this, because it's hilarious. The fact that he stays throughout the rest of the movie and doesn't shave the the other half of his mustache off. That's just commitment to the bit right there, which I think is a thing about a lot of comedies. You need to commit to the bit. Yeah. You know, like a good good joke. You could probably stretch a good joke a lot longer than you think, but granted, you know you know jump in jump in late leave early is you know the touchstone yeah. of a lot of timing but yeah high anxiety do you have any favorite bits apart from some of the ones that we we've talked made? about all of them oh no we the, almost the, talked about the whole movie i mean this movie has a ton you know i already we, said my favorite my favorite bit was is, the, the boxing scene it's it's the boxing scene and the psycho scene the shower scene those the two psych- are my absolute favorites yeah oh when we were talking about the birds earlier uh, Mel Brooks actually hired the uh, same bird wrangler from yeah. the birds. Yeah, and I thought like, hey, you're gonna do this. You're gonna honor Alfred Hitchcock. Get his do bird it. guy. Yeah, and it's like it's a funny bit, kind of creepy because they just appear out of nowhere. They just show up out of the thin blue sky. They do. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but yeah, so I think I think we kind of went through the whole whole movie a little bit. I'm surprised you're not doing a rendition of High Anxiety. High Anxiety. This is not something Mandy... I honestly, <laughs> I actually can never remember the tune. All I remember... Okay, so we, we were talking about this before we started the podcast. So I'm bad at remembering, like, um, music, right? Yeah. I, I did music for, like, years. I, you know, play, I play instruments. I play guitar. Yeah. I, I was in, you know, I was a singer. I did this for like eight years and I cannot remember like tunes very well. Like I remember lyrics really well, but like actual like notes and things I can't remember. So for some reason in my mind, the song for high anxiety is forever matched up with Mandy by Barry Manilow as that's how the music goes. Right. And I was just like, what? And I, I'm like, I don't know why. I um, don't know why. Cause we were, you know, listening to this before we started recording today and he's singing, you know, basically Mandy. And I'm just like... I just changed the words to be high anxiety. Yeah, and I'm like, like it's Sinatra. It's not, you know, Manilow. 
I'm even sorry. though even though Manilow is great, I do enjoy me some Manilow. I'm sorry that for some reason that's one of the parts of Dean's weird brain that got switched, and they're like, yeah, you know, the mute, the tune to High Anxiety is just basically Mandy by Barry Manilow. Obviously, how do you you plebeians? How do you not know this? But I think it was a good little break that you get in the movie from you know the. The medical jargon and the, you know, the thriller, the suspense. About just... the pee-pee and the hoo-hoos. Yes. And the woo-woos. And the woo-woos. Because, you know, no pee-pee envy, no woo-woo envy. Can't say it in front of the kids. Exactly. But, yeah. That'll I... make more sense when you watch the movie, everybody. Yes. It, it is a thing in the movie. <sighs> but, yeah, I, I think it was a good comedic relief break mm-hmm. that you get. I mean, anytime you get to see Mel Brooks performing. Oh, yeah. Well, <sighs> In terms of Mel Brooks performing, every performance must come to an end. And I feel that's about the end of our little soiree here at the Film Club Podcast. I today. believe so. And would you recommend this movie to our listeners? I would absolutely recommend it. It's one of the forgotten Mel Brooks classics. Mm-hmm. I think it deserves a good watching. Bonus points if you watch, like, a couple of Hitchcock movies beforehand, mm-hmm. but you're going to enjoy it regardless. Yeah. Um, I, or do it the other way. Watch this movie first and then watch Hitchcock afterwards so you could piece it together. That'd be kind of interesting. But yeah, I would recommend this movie. I don't know if it's the funniest movie we watched all month, but it's. I would say it's definitely it's definitely one of the funniest. It's high up on my list. But yeah, Baboo, it is time for us to hit farewell to comedy month and start the new month. Yes, because we're doing back-to-back theme months. We are. Boo's favorite kind of months. I mean, you enjoy yourself a good theme. I do. But yeah. So, next week is your pick. It is. Do you... For May? Well, it's not just May. It's Animation Month. Animation Month. month At the film club. And I know what you guys are thinking. It's going to be a month long of animes. No, guys. Uh, Miss Boo absolutely fucking hates anime. And it, it hurts my soul. It's just not my cup of tea. I'm gonna yeah, but for this I'm going to be showing you one of the most like awesome anime films ever. It's it's one of my personal favorites. Mm-hmm. It's one of the films that Darren Aronofsky took a lot of stuff from to make Black Swan. Mm-hmm. It's done by Shatoshi Kon, who I think is one of the greatest like directors ever. Mm-hmm. And it's also not a traditional, like, anime film that people would think of. It's, you know, a lot more grounded drama film that's just done in animation. And it's a Japanese film. It's called Perfect Blue. Which highly recommend everyone to go watch before we go in. Because I'm going to gush about this movie. Because I love it. It's great. And it's weird as shit. It is so fucking weird. You thought Eraserhead was weird? This shit is weird. Oh, guys. Say a prayer for me, because it's probably going to be a rough watch. It'll be great. You'll enjoy it. I wish you guys could see the smile on Dean's face right now. It's very kind of maniacal, kind of happy. It's a little odd. It's great. So, yeah. So, be prepared for Animation Month. We'll talk a little bit more about what we're going to be doing next month. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Film Club Podcast. And if you want to listen to us on a different platform, we're just on about every platform that they play a podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Uh, do you want to plug your podcast? Well, I did a little bit earlier, but I'll do it again. You can also find me on the Double Feature Podcast, where you can listen to that on Spotify and basically anywhere else podcasts can be found, including Anchor FM. 
You can also find us on the YouTube channel, In The Frame, which watch out for that because I believe the film club is going to be coming to that YouTube channel anytime now. It's true. It's happening soon. It's true. It's damn true. But yeah, uh, other than that, I think that wraps us up here at the film club. Remember, folks, be good to your parents. They were good to you. Peace. See you next week. That was also a bit from the movie. Go watch the fucking movie. (laughs) Later. Bye.